0: Oh, good morning everyone. Good to hear to here together this morning. Um, if you've got one Samuel there open, uh, keep it open. It would be really helpful to follow along. Uh, otherwise it's a bit tricky actually. So if you don't have a Bible, you're free to get up and go and grab one. There's no shame in that at all. It's an interesting passage, isn't it? Uh, funny part of the history of God's world. funny part of the history of Israel. So we're going to ask God to help us make sense of it and so we can understand what God has to say to us this morning. How about I pray? Father, thank you for this uh, time we have together. We thank you for the gift of church, that, that, Lord God, you've called us together in your name and um, we can read your word freely. We pray, Lord, that we'd respond to your word uh, with open and full hearts and trusting hearts that we can put your words into practice. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's, let's be honest here. It's a, it's a pretty mundane sort of story, isn't it? Nothing particularly exciting about it. We've got uh, It's not very dramatic, a little bit ordinary. Uh, we started reading it, well, this story about these donkeys in the start of chapter 9. You might even call it a little bit trivial, although there is the uh, really, really, really ridiculously good-looking Saul. He pops up there too, just to quote Derek Zoolander. Um, Uh, No doubt he would have won Mr. Israel if there was such a competition, I would think. We were introduced to him last week. But we've got these lost donkeys. Uh, I would have think lost treasure, that would be a bit more exciting, wouldn't it? But we've got lost donkeys. Who really cares about lost donkeys? I guess they would have. We've got this country lad from an unknown family of one of the smallest tribes of Israel, so that's Benjamin, and he's on an errand for his father. That's the story. Could hardly be seen as particularly... Uh, or, well, certainly not historically significant, this donkey chase. I don't think the donkeys would like this one, though. He's, our, he's my favourite donkey. But anyway, we read this story, and this, as, as we read this story, the emphasis right, this account, we're aware and saw not so much of the great crisis in Israel at the time. As we're reading along, we're aware of that. Israel's leader, Samuel, the last of the great judges, well, he's old and his sons are a nightmare and the people of Israel were asking for a change in the the most significant change in the constitution of Israel since Moses. Do you remember what they asked for? Remember what they demanded? There it is. Appoint us a king to lead us such as all the other nations have. That's what they asked for. Both Samuel and the Lord, though, didn't like this one bit. But God told Samuel to give them a king anyway. Now, sometime later, we're not told how long. We come across in chapter 9, verse 2, and this impressive young man, Saul, whose name means asked for, he appears. (coughs) We start to suspect there's more going on here than lost Donkeys. And in chapter 9, our suspicions begin to be confirmed. The donkey chaser finds himself in the presence of none other than the prophet Samuel, God's prophet, who had been told by God to make a king for Israel. But Saul, well, he's probably still thinking about donkeys. By the end of chapter 9, and I've got this up on the screen, the theme of Saul's donkey trace gives way to Samuel's promise that he would make known to Saul the word of God or the message of God. You see, God was in control of all of this. Even though it's a little bit strange and trivial to our ears, everything had been leading up to this moment ...that we find ourselves in, the end of chapter 9, the start of chapter 10. This moment, this meeting between Saul and Samuel. You see, there's no such thing as chance in God's world. All this had come together to this point so Saul would hear the word of God. So what was this word of God that Samuel made known to Saul... And what effect did this word have? Let's pick things up then in chapter 10, verse 1. And also, it's just Samuel and Saul at this point. It's a little bit of a private meeting. See, Saul's servant, who he was traveling around with in chapter 9, well, he's gone on ahead. I guess that means he's probably gone home. He's headed on home. So what follows then, as this word of God is heard, it's a bit of a secret. We'll find out between Samuel and Saul. Okay, so it's point one on your outline. It'd be helpful to have the outline in front of you. It's in your bulletin. Uh, the word of God revealed to Saul, verses one to eight. See, the way in which Samuel made known the word of God to Saul is described in those first eight verses of chapter 10. Well, first, this is this anointing, which I imagine would have seemed pretty strange to Saul. Let's read verse one. Almost seems like it comes out of the blue. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him, saying, Has not the Lord anointed you leader over his inheritance? Just imagine being Saul for a moment there. Back in chapter, six, uh, chapter 9, verse 16, a, a day earlier, the Lord said to Samuel, we'll read it, it's up on the screen, About this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him ruler over my people Israel. He will deliver them from the hand of the Philistines. I've looked at my people, for their cry has reached me. You see, Samuel's actions and words in 10 verse 1 are following the Lord's command a day earlier from 9 verse 16. And notice that not only are these the words of God through the prophet Samuel, a message from God, that was the phrase at the end of chapter 9, 9 verse 27, through the prophet, but the actions are from the Lord as well. Have a look at 10 verse 1 again. Has not the Lord anointed you? It's the Lord who's anointed you. And these are the words from the Lord. Saul needed to understand that he had been anointed or he has been anointed Not just by Samuel, but by the Lord. That's becoming more and more will become more and more important as we go on. But at this point, though, I'm not sure Saul has the foggiest about what's really going on. Let's pick up one more thing about 10 verse 1. Notice how Samuel says that Saul would be leader over God's inheritance, God's heritage. See, what's being expressed here by the use of this word is the permanency of the Lord's possession. An inheritance, you see, an inheritance is a possession that cannot be transferred to someone else. That's what an inheritance is. You see, the people of Israel would always be God's people, his inheritance, his special possession. And of course, all the earth belongs to God. Exodus 19 verse 5 says that. The Lord will inherit all the nations. Psalm 82 verse 8 says that. However, in the meantime, as a means to an end, he chose to make Israel his inheritance, his his heritage, by rescuing them from slavery in Egypt. By choosing this word through the prophet Samuel, God emphasized his claim on his people. Whatever else the new form of leadership Israel was receiving might mean, it would not mean that the Lord had given up on his people. It wouldn't mean that. Whatever else happened, God won't give up on his people. He would not allow them to become just like the other nations. Well, Saul is now given three signs. He's given three signs to confirm what will happen. Samuel had not finished speaking the word of God to Saul. God is still guiding. He's still working in his sovereign care. Let's look at these three signs. Now, a little while ago, a few years ago, as many of you know, we lived in um, Dubai, a different country, and uh, a different state of a different country, and the infrastructure in particular, the roads were, well, they'll work in progress. So this is sort of how they worked. Uh, streets were often not named, and the way you made sure you were going in the right direction was that you would look up and see where the Burj Khalifa was. So the Burj Khalifa is the tallest building in the In the world, actually, and so it's very, very tall. It's about 820 something metres high, and you can't miss it. So if it's on your left, well, I think you were heading. That's right, you were heading south. And if it was on your right, you were heading north. And if it's behind you, you were heading east. I think it is. I got them all mixed up. I got lost a lot, Uh, (laughs) and that's how you worked it out, pretty much. You know, it was a bit hit and miss. Signage was a work in progress, so most signs were what we'd call, what we called in our family, retrospective. So that is, you only knew, uh, you, you were only told what road you were on, where you were going, when you were travelling on that actual road. Think about that for a minute. Um, in other words, the signs confirmed the direction you were, you were heading, like it or not. Retrospective signage. I'm on this road now, I guess that's the way I'm going. Nothing I can really do about it. In a way, that's what these signs were to saw. A confirmation of where he was heading in terms of kingship of Israel and God's doing in all of it. First sign, Rachel's tomb. So let's go to verse 2. When you leave me today, Samuel says, you'll meet two men near Rachel's tomb at Zelzar on the border of Benjamin. They will say to you, the donkeys you uh, you set out to look for have been found. Good news. And now your father has stopped thinking about them and is worried about you. I love it how his father's, from the very beginning, more concerned about the donkeys than his son. What's going on there? Anyway, Mr. Kish, you need a, you need a word. Um, he's asking, now he, now he asks, what shall I do about my son? So what do we make of Rachel's tomb? What's going on there? Why does he have to go to Rachel's tomb? Well, the tomb is to remind Saul and to remind us of Israel's origins. The point being made is that the future of the Lord's inheritance is connected with its beginnings. Let me explain. Rachel, you might remember, was Jacob's second wife, the mother of Joseph. Remember Joseph, the fancy coat guy? That's the Joseph we're talking about. The mother of Joseph and the mother of Benjamin. Now, Rachel had died giving birth to Benjamin. She was therefore not only sort of Israel's matriarch, but her tomb, well, her tomb was a reminder of the origins of Saul's own tribe. Remember, Saul's tribe was Benjamin. By reminding us of the beginnings of Israel, especially Benjamin, Rachel's tomb actually points us back to the book of Genesis, as we read, where the promises of God that defined Israel's existence were repeatedly heard. It's important. Let's go to this next sign then. Next sign confirming the direction that Saul was heading, the road he was on, confirming God's hand in all this. And it's a tree. It's a particular tree. I'm not sure what it really looked like, but I imagine it was pretty impressive. Let's read verse 3 and 4. Then you will go on from there until you reach the great tree of Tabor. Three men will go up to God at Bethel, will meet you there. Uh, going up to God at Bethlehem, we'll meet you there. One will carry three young goats, another three loaves of bread, and another a skin of wine. They will greet you and offer you two loaves of bread, which you'll accept from them. So not only does God provide for the physical needs of Saul, back in chapter 9, we, in verse 7, we were told that they'd run out of food and they were hungry. So God provides those physical needs. But again, something much more significant is, significant is going on. And again, we're taking back to the book of Genesis, Now, Bethel means house of God. Bethel received its name from Jacob's extraordinary encounter with God there. Uh, Genesis 28, 35. And Bethel was the place where God repeated his astonishing promise to Jacob, the promise that defined Israel, the promise that he gave to Abraham as well. That is, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring, God said to Jacob. It's a pretty significant place in the history of Israel. There's one more to go, though. One more sign. To the Gibeah of God. The meaning hill of God. Now, if you're struggling a bit and you're thinking, this is pretty weird stuff. Well, I hate to say it, but the weirdo meter is going to crank up a bit more. Okay? But stay with me. Let's read verse 5. After that, you will go to Gibeah of God, where there is a Philistine outpost. Well, that's interesting. There's a couple of surprises here, I think. We haven't even finished the verse yet. One, we're deep in Israelite territory, like just, just a bit north, up the road from Jerusalem. Deep in Israelite territory, and what do we find? There's a Philistine outpost. That's not good, is it? We don't want the bad bad enemies in the middle of our territory. There's a garrison of Philistine soldiers. So not only does this show that the Philistines are a threat, but they're camped out right near a place called the Hill of God, adding insult to injury. (laughs) Now, whatever we make of it, this was the very problem that the Lord had chosen and anointed Saul to save Israel from. Remember chapter 9, verse 16? Anoint him, rule over my people, he will deliver them from the hand of the Philistines. That's what he was anointed for. And so how on earth was this country boy from this hick tribe of Benjamin, how's he going to deal with this this threat? Let's keep reading in our Bibles, chapter 5, the second half of 5. As you approach the town, the Gibeah, you will meet a procession of prophets coming down from the high place with lyres, tambourines, flutes and harps, having a bit of a jam, doing a bit of prophesying. Uh, play before them, prophesying. Verse 6, the spirit of the Lord will come upon you in power and you will prophesy with them and you'll be changed into a different person. Did you see how God would do that to Saul? How's he going to solve this problem? Verse 6, there it is. God's spirit would come upon Saul and he would be changed. It's the same language used to describe how the spirit came upon Samson. Remember Samson, long-haired, buff guy, looked a bit like this. Um, <laughs> they made a movie, of course, who wouldn't make a movie out of the story of Samson? Uh, but more importantly, Samson in the Bible, he was empowered by the Holy Spirit to be a mighty saviour of Israel from the Philistines. It's exactly the same sort of language here. So, well, in all this, though, that, that going back to Saul... <laughs> Well, Saul's probably still thinking about the donkeys. Or at least he's happy now that they've been found. And now he's worried about what his dad's worried about him because he hasn't come come back before his curfew. I don't know. He's not quite sure what's going on. And no one has mentioned the word king yet, have they? Remember, that's what the Lord instructed Samuel to appoint. But we'll get better to that in a minute. What was Saul to do next? Verses 7 and 8. What was Saul's task? Verse 7. Once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hand finds to do, for God is with you. So empowered by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, just like Samson, assured of God's presence, Saul was to act. He was to... But what what was he to do, exactly? Do whatever your hand finds to do. That's a bit of a strange expression, isn't it? Does that mean he should just kick back, kill some time for a while? Yeah, do whatever you want to do. Just kill some time, you know? Put your feet up, watch a bit of Netflix. I don't know. Um, or a bit of Israel's Next Top Model. I don't know. i um, <laughs> not sure they had it back then. Start up a hobby, brush the donkeys. I don't know, kill some time, you know? Kill some time. Does that sound like the right option? Does that sound like what he's meant to be doing? Don't think so. What was he to do? Well, the answer lies in that little phrase, "Do whatever your hand finds to do." The phrase is also found in judges, judges nine verse three, if you're taking some notes. And the context there makes clear that that phrase refers to military action against an enemy. Samuel's words were a summons to Saul. "With the spirit of God upon you, like Samson, With power, act against the Philistines. Flex your muscles." Where where would they do that? Ah, well, there's some soldiers, Philistine soldiers, hanging out at Gibeah. That would be a good place to start, wouldn't it? That's the first thing Saul was to do. The second, after he had taken care of that Philistine outpost, is explained in verse 8. Go down ahead of me to Gilgal, and I will surely come down to you to sacrifice burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, but you must wait seven days until I come to you and tell you you what you are to do. So meet up at Gilgal, Uh, offering the usual post-battle sacrifices. A fellowship offering is a peace offering. It's the same thing. And uh, your fellowship offering, go down there, offer those sacrifices, then we'll talk about what to do next. Now, significantly, and once again, the place where they're to meet is important. See, Gilgal was the place where the wilderness wanderings ended. It's the first resting place as as the Israelites entered the Promised Land, and it's the first place where the first Passover was celebrated. So what better place, what more appropriate place for Saul to learn what his responsibilities as Israel's new leader would be? It's a pretty good spot to hang out. Well, let's now find out what Saul did. What would would we expect? What would you expect for Saul to do at this point? If you haven't read, read on ahead... What would would we expect will happen now that the word of God has been heard? I guess we'd expect the signs to come true, wouldn't we? I think we would. I would, reading it for the first time. I expect those signs to be fulfilled. And I also expect Saul to listen to the word word of God and obey it. That would be my expectation. Uh, I should adjust my expectations. Let's see what Saul did. Verse 9 tells us that God immediately began to change Saul into another man by changing his heart. And God was keeping his word. Next, the three signs are fulfilled, the word of God fulfilled. But more is said about the third sign when, that's, when that comes to pass. Let's read verse 10. When they arrived at Gibeah, a procession of prophets met him. Yep, we know that's going to happen. The spirit of God came upon him in power and he joined in their prophesying. But something significant here is missing. It's not mentioned. Following the three signs, if we've understood this correctly, Saul and the power of the Spirit by the direction of the Word of God was to act. He was to act on those Philistines near Gibeah and do whatever your hand finds to do. You see, this was the moment where we expect Saul to step up like the judges before him and launch an attack on the enemy, taking them down. This was the moment that we expect to read that, but we, instead we hear of nothing. At this very point where action had been called for, there's no action. Saul did nothing. Well, in verses 11 and 12, that tells of the people's response. Now, it's, it's Saul's hometown. And the people of Gibeah, Gibeah wondered what caused the changes in Saul. There's lots of questions, not a lot of answers. Finally, Saul speaks. Let's find out what he said Uh, Actually, we'll come back to that in a minute. Let's read verse 13. Verse 13, and after Saul stopped prophesying, he went to the high place. So still no movement against the Philistines. He goes to the high place, sort of like the place of prayer, uh, probably the hill where all those musical prophets came down from. And again, it doesn't really look like what Samuel had in mind when he said, do whatever your hand finds you to do. Now, perhaps he met him on the way or up there, on the way there, but at the high place, he runs into Saul, Saul runs into his uncle. And his uncle has got a fair question to ask. You see that in verse, 15, uh, verse 14. Where have you been? I think that's the way we'd sort of say it. Where have you been? Or he might say, where did you go? What happened to you? What brought about this change in you? I wonder if any of you have done an overseas mission. I really encourage you to do it. Um, Just a short term, maybe one. Two weeks overseas. uh, I did a a stint a while back now in Cambodia. Built houses, worked with local people, shared the gospel. Um, It was life-changing. It it brought in me the the heart to go and do it again. Uh, I wonder if you've ever done that. Really good thing to do. Totally recommend it. It'll change you. It changes you, yes, a little bit physically. It changes you... Mentally, as you get a broad view of the world, uh, it also changes you spiritually. You're challenged by what confronts us in our world. Now, Saul's experience wasn't an overseas mission, but it sure changed him these last couple days. And the people noticed, his friends noticed. Saul's response to his uncle, let's look at that, you see, Think about what Saul had gone through over the last sort of 48 hours. Think about all that's been talked about, the the donkey chasing, the signs, the the conversations with Samuel, all of that. Let's look at Saul's response to where did you go, what happened to you? What does he say? He says, looking for the donkeys. (laughs) That's his answer. I was looking for the donkeys. And then when we couldn't find them, he goes on, we went to Samuel. That's it. See, it wasn't what he said that was the problem. It was what he didn't say. As a field report, if he was going to hand in his field report of all that happened in the last couple of days, since he left home and took 9 verse 4, this is pretty lame. It's pretty, pretty short on detail. It's astonishing for what is not said. But Uncle Kish, let's just call him Uncle Kish, he's no fool. Look at verse 15. He presses a little harder on what Samuel said to him. Maybe Uncle Kish was pretty switched on to the national crisis going on, confronting Israel. Maybe Saul got an inside word from the famous prophet about what's going on in the capital. Who's going to rule us next? We know Samuel's an old guy and he's losing it. His sons are no good. Who's going to rule next? Well, whatever happened to Saul, the key to understanding that interaction came from Samuel. And Uncle Kish knew it. And what Samuel said to Saul, Uncle Kish was on the money. So why did Saul not say anything about his interactions with Samuel? Why did he not say anything? Well, we're not told, are we? We don't know. We can only guess. Maybe he was still in some sort of shock. It's been a pretty hectic two days. Let's be honest. Uh, Maybe he was ashamed as he did not act on the prophet's instruction he didn't go and take out those Philistines he didn't obey the word of God so maybe that's why he kept quiet well the episode closes with the narrator underlining what Saul did not say letting us in on a bigger secret than Saul's silence verse 16 Saul replied he assured us that the donkeys had been found yeah okay thanks Saul got that Good. Now, but he did not tell his uncle what Samuel had said about the kingship. Now, a slightly more literal translation of that passage reads like this from the ESV. But about the matter or word, its the same word in the Hebrew, about the word of the kingdom of which Samuel had spoken, because Samuel the prophet speaks the word of God, he did not tell him anything. Friends, it seems to me that the word of God that Samuel made known to Saul in verses 1 to 8 was in fact the word of the kingdom. But it's not just a word about Saul's kingship. No, no, no. Something much bigger is going on here God's kingship, God's kingdom. You see, and something we'll pick up in the coming chapters, the word of God to Saul was about the Lord's kingdom that he would not allow to be destroyed. Remember they're his inheritance, his heritage. The word of God to Saul was, in fact, the word of his kingdom. Yet in chapter 10, while this word is still a secret, it's just between Samuel and Saul. I wonder if you're an Avengers fan. Uh, I am. I I like the movies. They're good. I'm not going to give anything away just in case you haven't seen it. Who's seen Endgame? Okay, still a few haven't, so I'm not going to give it away. Thank you very much. Yeah, Um, Worth seeing, particularly if you've seen the previous movies. And there's a lot of Avengers movies. This is why I love those movies, especially now after seeing Endgame. And I'll try really hard not to spoil it. See, if you're an Avengers fan, uh, these... and, And I guess this is probably the last one. I think, not giving anything away. Um, one of the fun parts of the series is that so many of the details in the earlier movies point to this final film. Now, a lot of good movies do that in the series, don't they? they all the details in the earlier movies point to this, uh, this final film, this final episode, where the secret, the ending, is revealed. And following that, seeing that last movie, we can look back and watch the movies again, if you like, and connect up all the dots. Oh, that's pointing to that final scene. That's really cool. I think it's really cool. I hope you guys too. Yeah, don't, anyway, it doesn't matter if you don't. But that's what it does. That's what good movies do. And I love that. Connects up the dots, and it points to the end game. The secret being revealed fully. See where I'm going with this? I love it. And notice I didn't give away any spoilers. Good. Let's look at this last little and we'll close with this. The secrets of the kingdom of God. See, in the scheme of things, this is a pretty small episode in the history of Israel. It's just a couple of days. However, the significance lies in this. We've been given the secrets of the kingdom. Today. The word of God that Samuel spoke to Saul will turn out to be the most powerful factor not just in his life, not just in Israel's life, but in the history of the whole world. It was the word of the kingdom of God. A little over a thousand years later, just down the road a bit from this this scene here, another man came proclaiming the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God, which was the real concern of Samuel, eventually came into the world In the person and work of Jesus Christ. The secret is out. End game. (laughs) End game. There it is. The dots connected up. The secret is out. The message that became known as the word of the kingdom or the gospel of the kingdom would soon be proclaimed throughout the whole Roman Empire and to the ends of the earth, as Acts 1 says. You know, Jesus said to his disciples there are different responses to this word this gospel like seed falling on a path or a rocky soil or thorns but some will fall on good soil this word of god this seed and the word of god will grow in their lives and they'll produce fruit jesus said there'll be some who those seeing they never see Jesus said there'll be some who sit there and hear and hear and hear but they never really hear they never really understand but that was not his disciples Jesus his disciples they questioned they wanted more of this kingdom word they wanted to grow they trusted this word with their whole hearts friends today we have the secret the secrets of the kingdom, using Jesus' word. We have the gospel. We've got the message of Jesus Christ. End game. It's all here. We have the word of God. How will you respond to it? How will you respond? Will the worries of life, the riches and pleasures, choke you so that you don't mature? And soon you'll die off. And that's what happens, as Jesus said, would happen. Ever hearing, but never really getting it. Will that be you? i pray it's not. Maybe the devil right now today is just coming and snatching it away. I'm going to pray that's not the case as well. Or well, today, will you today respond to the word of the kingdom, as Jesus said, with a noble and good heart, who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. Why don't we pray and give thanks to the word that God has given us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for sending the Lord Jesus into this world. Lord, we thank you that this word of the kingdom has come in flesh and blood. And Lord, that word is scattered out into our lives, we pray that we'd respond to it. We pray that we'd respond with a noble and good heart who hear the words of Jesus, who retain it and persevere producing a crop. Lord, sometimes these stories in the Old Testament seem a, a long way away, but we know this word now. So it took a while to get hold of it, but Lord, we know it in the Lord Jesus. We pray we would respond. Help us to respond with faithfulness to you. Amen.